verses 16 through 21. Can you have it? Please say amen. And it reads, So he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on a Sabbath day and stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. May God bless the readers, hearers, and doers of his holy word. You can remain standing. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you once again, Lord, for the privilege, Lord, to feast around your word. God, we ask that you would help us as we talk about the subject of hope in a very tragic and difficult time in our nation's history. God, we thank you that your word speaks to every situation that man encounters. And so, Lord, we know that, uh, God, you have something that you want to say. And, Father, we posture our hearts and our minds to hear what the Spirit wants to say to the church today. Thank you, Lord, and we praise you. Uh, use my voice, my mind, and my heart, my feet. Father, use every aspect of me, Father God, that I might be simply a conduit, Father God, for your word to spring forth without interruption and without any hindrance in the spirit. And God, we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated in the Lord's presence. Uh, we have been in a series in recent weeks, series has been about giving, as we have been uh, really spotlighting the joy of Christmas and the fact that giving is something that we truly look forward to as the people of God. And today we want to continue in that same vein, and we're going to be talking about the subject of give hope. As many of you unless you live on another planet or have been in some remote place. Um, many of you are aware of the tragedy uh, that occurred in Newtown, Connecticut, uh, whereby there were, uh, I believe, some 18 to 20 children killed, the rest adults, including the shooter. Uh, from what I can understand and from what I gather from the media reports, uh, most of the uh, children that died was between the ages of five and seven. Um, it is something that is hard to wrap our finger around, and I know that emotions are running high, not just obviously uh, in the world, people who don't know God, but even in the church. And I believe that, that the church, and you've heard me say this time and time again, uh, is the hope of the world. And what I simply mean by that is Jesus said, upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. And how many know that what happened there in Connecticut, Satan has not won. You understand that? Uh, 
the Bible said, Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. At the flip side, Jesus also said, and this is why I, am, I, 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 I take comfort in the word of God, because Jesus did say that in this world we will have tribulation. Um, that really bring, comes home when you really think about the events that has occurred within the last couple of days. Um, I believe that when Jesus said that, I want you to think about it for a moment. When he said that in this world you will have tribulation, I believe that what he had in mind is what we are experiencing today. Death, pain, sorrow, anguish of heart, frustration, confusion, all as a result of sin. Jesus said he did not say that we, the church, will somehow be excluded. He says in this world, we'll have tribulation. We're going to have what we have been seeing. And I know it's painful to deal with. But if Jesus would have just left it there, I might, have been, I might have been a little bit troubled. But he says that you can be of good cheer because I've overcome the world. And if he has overcome the world, guess who else overcomes the world? We overcome. As I think about all of these shootings and that has been happening, I've heard people react in various ways, and I'm sure you've heard some of the same things. I've heard people say they're going to go back and get guns and they're going to defend themselves. And, you know, I've heard people say that, you know, they wish that they could do some things on their own to an individual that's been offensive. I've heard people result to all kinds of things, and a lot of it is based in some kind of vengeance that I need to strike back. I need to get back at you. It's interesting that I was listening to, and it really broke my heart, I was listening to a man uh, who had lost his daughter in that shooting. His daughter was six years old, and he had such grace in his heart and I, you know, you can tell one when you know one, you know, you can tell somebody when they've been washing the blood, you, you know it when they're Christian. And, and, and he stood up there and, and he talked about very eloquently, yet with a heavy heart. But he talked about the fact that he's going to see his daughter again. And he prayed. Now he said, I not only, uh, you know, I am concerned and hurt about what's happening to me, but I pray for that family that's of the shooter that's been experiencing that. You really can't do that unless you got some higher connection. Because most people would say, and, and, and trust me, this message is not about the shooter this morning. We won't talk much about him. His fate is done. But, but the thing about us is that Jesus said it this way, that we are to overcome evil by doing good. He didn't say you overcome evil by going back and doing to them what they did to us. He said you overcome evil by doing good. If the church is the light of the world, he said you're the salt of the earth, then, then, then we, we must understand that we are the change agents and that it is not our job as people of God to simply react like everybody else, but to seize upon the moment 
to preach about the love and the grace of God to which whom every one of you sitting here today, you have been affected by. You are here today because Jesus saved you. You are here today because he changed you on the inside. You are here today because the anguish and the pain and the bitterness and the sin that had you gripped, you've been set free. So we don't want to go back into bondage and to begin to react like everybody else. Like, yes, I understand the anger. We, we understand that. But the question then becomes, what are we now to do? When I say we, what is the church to do in this time? God, what is it that you want from us? How is it? I heard one man ask in a very relevant question. He says, how is it, how can somebody be so cruel and so evil that they can load themselves up with a gun, you know, would have been easier for him to kill himself, but how could a person be that evil that they would go in and look at a child and then kill that child? Not one, but many of them. Here's the thing that we must realize, and we must never forget, that all sin, all sin, including what we've just witnessed has its basis in a rejection of God, a, an alienation from the creator God who was man, who was made in his image. You know, that's why the Bible is so hard against murder because murder is an attack on who God made us to be in his image and we kill and we murder How can a person do something like that? There's three things I want to accomplish in this message. Number one, I want to explain the results of sin and how it affects a society. Number two, I want to reveal through the word how Jesus is the healer and the remedy to all of the ills of society. How many of you believe that? Number three, how should we, when I say we, as Christians, comfort the hurting and the weak? The first point we want to deal with is the problem with sin and evil. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Romans chapter number 3, verses 10 through 12. And I want to keep it moving, so I'm not going to wait a long time. The problem with sin and evil, man has rejected God. Bible says in Romans 3, verses 10 through 12, as it is written, there is none righteous. No, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. 
they have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good, no, not one. Men have rejected God. We have, it's no secret today, we may as well state the obvious, that it's becoming more and more evident that our society don't want God involved in almost any part of it. We have kicked God, like, can we be honest today? We have, we don't want God in our schools. When a kid now wants to pray or wear a shirt that simply says, I love Jesus, we reject that. A woman, uh, not too long ago, was a student who wanted to, to uh, just honor God and say a prayer at a commencement meeting. So no, you can't, you can't do that. In our courts today, there's a rejection of God. We don't, we don't want, we don't want you to, to hang anything on the courtroom. There was a judge not too long ago, some of you may remember, who hung up on, it, it, it was a habit that he had. It was over in a corner. He had hanging on the wall the Ten Commandments. Oh, you got to take that down. We don't, want, we, don't want, we don't want God, we don't want no mention of God. And they relegated God to just some other religious figure. How many know that God is not religious? He is God. He is sovereign. He is creator. He is not just some other religious thing. He's the creator of the universe. He made all things by the word of his power. And how can we reject a holy God? There are consequences. When a nation rejects God, there are consequences, and it hurts. It hurts. But the only way that man will see is to see the repercussions of what happens to a people that reject Almighty God. It is not, I want to repeat, I want to make this very clear, God had nothing to do with what happened in Connecticut. Do you hear me? That was purely someone who was clothed with pure and sheer evil. God had nothing to do with that. You understand as, as Christians and I've heard people say, well, how, how can God, God can stop it. I understand that. God could stop it. God could do a lot of things. But here's the thing about God. When you, you see, you and I, we see with our finite mind, we are, we, we are captured in the moments. We see frames of life. God sees the beginning and the end all at the same time. So when he sees your tears over here, he sees you rejoicing over here at the same time. When he sees that you're in pain and you've been begging for help up on the other side, he sees you shouting for joy. He sees it all at the same time. That's how he can stomach it because he knows all things. And because of, see, when the Bible says that we've been redeemed, see, that, all, that means something. When we've been redeemed, what it simply means is that we've been, we've been brought out of something. And so in order for you, us to understand what redemption is, we have to go through some things so that on the other side of it, how many know we will rejoice with unspeakable joy? Amen. See, the angels can't even testify to that. 
They don't know. The Bible says they peer into this thing trying to figure out, man, what's this thing all about? You and I have been redeemed. And so God sees it all at the same time. And so we trust his sovereignty and we trust his grace. But here's another point I want to make with regard to man who rejects God. Go to Romans chapter 1, verses 28 through 32. He gave them up to a depraved mind. Look at Romans chapter 28. I'm sorry, verse chapter 1, verse 28 through 32. And even they, he's talking about people in general who rejected God, did not like to retain God in their knowledge. In other words, they make their decisions. They do the things that they do without even consulting God. Don't want God involved in this. God is relegated only to Sunday morning service when the preacher preach, and hopefully it's very short. And when I really need him, then I'll talk to him. Other than that, I don't want God involved in my life. They didn't like to retain God. This is the mindset of this kind of person or these people who don't know God. God gave them over to a debased mind. Now, do you know what debased means? Debased means that your mind has been lowered. That your capacity to reason and to understand, watch this, right from wrong, has been greatly diminished. When God gave you up, it's implying that God, God is always trying to reach out. Amen? God is always calling to the sons of men, come to me. Come. He's always trying to reach out. But at some point, how I many know God won't force you to do anything? Except at the end of time, you're going to bow and recognize who he is. Amen. But God is not going to force you. God said God gave them up. In other words, it was as if God was saying, okay, if you don't want me, if you don't want to pray to me, if you don't want to even mention me, no place, nowhere, whether it's your schools, whether it's your courts, whether it's on your marketplace, if you don't want me involved, then God says, okay, if this is what you want, I'm going to give you that. And a debased mind has been greatly diminished from what it's supposed to be. And, and you who have been redeemed, you who know Jesus, you look at some of these things and you try to figure out how could somebody do this or do that because you've been, your eyes have been opened. If you know Jesus, your eyes have been opened. So God gave them over to a debased mind. Now watch. To do those things which are not fitting. Being filled with all unrighteousness. Listen to this. Here's, here's the results of a debased mind. Being filled with all unrighteousness. Sexual immorality. Wickedness. Covetousness. Maliciousness. Full of envy. And what? Murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things. Disobedient to their parents or no respect for authority. This is the problem with sin, is it not? It's a debased mind. We, 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 we move away. When we are alienated from God, we can't even think logically. We don't know what is right and wrong anymore. We get confused. How I many know that our nation as a whole, there's a confusion about what's right and what's wrong? 
The attitude today is whatever makes you feel good, do that. That's your right and your wrong. How many know God has a moral law? And God has instilled his moral law for one reason, because he loves us and is right. And he determines the laws. He determines how the earth is to be governed. Amen? Now, I want you to stay with me. So God gave them up. There's a way that seems right to a man, but the end is the way of death. That's Proverbs 14, 12. That's why we can't go the way of the world. Amen? We can't do it. You're the light of the world. The Bible says in Jeremiah 17, 9, that the heart of man is deceitfully wicked. Deceitfully wicked. Who can know it? We can't even trust our own hearts. And then this alienation from God can lead to another thing, which is called a seared conscience. A seared conscience. A couple of verses for you to write down. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 and 2 says this. Now the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. You know, when your conscience is seared with a hot iron, that means it's burnt. It's chalice. It's hard. It has no feeling when your conscience has been seared. How many know that young man's conscience was seared? That's how people can do some of the things that they do. And how many know that it just didn't happen? There was a progression toward that. But man, here's the problem. When we drift away from God, we we open ourselves to all kinds of things. Now, not everybody who don't know God goes around shooting people. Amen? So there are various degrees. But you can fill yourself with so much evil, you can drift away from God so far that you would do things that you thought that you would never do. Because the heart is deceitfully wicked. You've got to trust God every day of your life. Have anybody here ever did something you thought you would never do? Your heart is deceitfully wicked. We have to trust God every day. David said, Lord, create in me a clean heart and renew in me a right spirit. God, will you please take a look inside of me, and if there's any way that is not right, lead me in the path of righteousness for your name's sake. In other words, David was saying, I don't even know myself. I don't even trust myself. God, we need him, don't we? We need him. But I mean, now, now this is now we're talking about people. You have a relationship with God, most of you, all of you, I hope. Think about the person who don't. They don't know this truth. Or they have rejected it. And whenever a society, whenever a people, a person reject God, there are always consequences. And a lot of times it's not pleasant. This is the hard truth. Shall we as a church sit back and we say, no, well, you know what, just forget about it, smooth it over? Or shall we say, let's deal with what God wants us to deal with? It's a sin problem. We live in a sin-infested world. 
where problems, pain, and hurt, and anguish is going to be here, but how many know it's not going to stay here? <laughs> Ephesians 4, verses 17 through 19, says this. You can write it down. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk. And the futility, that means emptiness, vain, of their mind. Watch this. Having their understanding darkened. See? Their understanding is darkened. They can't see like you see. Being alienated from the life of God. That means cut off from him because of the ignorance that is in them. Because of the blindness of their hearts, who being past feeling, or your King James Version would say callous, having given themselves over to lewdness, to work all uncleanliness with greediness. In other words, sin to the max. A depraved mind. A depraved mind. This is the problem with society. Second point I want to make, I said three things. The remedy for the problem. Look at the name and say, God, God got this. What is the remedy for the problem? In Luke chapter 16, or Luke chapter 4, verses 16 through 21, which was our foundational text this morning, it, it is absolutely one of the most beautiful passages. God sees the depravity of man. He sees how lost we are. He sees how desperate we are. He sees even though people don't see. You know, most people, if they think that they have money and they have things, they think that they're okay. But Jesus, God puts, brings, sends his son Jesus in the midst of an evil, crooked, and perverse generation. And Jesus comes on the scene and he says, the spirit of God is upon me. He said, he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. Here's the remedy for the problem. He said, the spirit of God is upon me. I've been anointed. He has sent me to preach gospel to the poor, not just to those who have no money, but those who are destitute in spirit. He said, the spirit of God is upon me to preach the gospel. Gospel means good news. You know you have good news. Shame on you if you don't take a moment every day and figure out a way to share this good news. Jesus was sent here to deal with this. And, and, and he says he's come to heal the brokenhearted. Jesus knew the pain, the anguish that people felt even in those days, there was murder. There was a sense of, 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 of turmoil in the world, just like it is today, and I believe in increasing, and it will until Christ comes back. But he says, but, but isn't God good? Because he didn't, say, he didn't leave us there. He didn't, he didn't say, look, you know what? You know, y'all rejected me. You don't want nothing to do with me. But he just keeps coming. He just keeps coming. Some of you, you know what I'm talking about. You didn't want nothing to do with it, but he just kept coming. He just kept coming. 
He just kept coming. You don't know why. He just kept showing up. He just kept sending people your way. He just kept popping up on a radio station. You kept trying to flip the channel. He kept sending some preacher up to you, and you kept walking away. He, I mean, he kept putting literature in your face. The Bible, people giving you the Bible as a gift, and you put it to the side. But yet he just kept coming. That's love personified. He's come to heal the brokenhearted. See, there are a lot of people whose hearts are broken today. Jesus says, I came, watch this, to heal the brokenhearted. See, the murder is a symptom of a bigger problem. Do you hear me? What we saw in Connecticut is symptom. The problem is not... what you saw there was, was the symptom. But the problem is sin and a cutoff from God. When Jesus said, I've come to heal the brokenhearted, he came to be that bridge to get us back right to God. That's right. Because that's the only way this thing is going to be right, made right. That's the only way the ship is going to be turned. Make no mistake about it. So when Jesus said, I came to heal the brokenhearted, I came to fix you. How many of you say, I've been fixed? Before Jesus came, you were all messed up inside. You thought crazy. Whatever your mind thought, you just went for it. You were evil continually. And yet Jesus came and he's been fixing some stuff down on the inside of you. Now you got a problem, stuff that that didn't used to bother you anymore. It bothers you now because you've been fixed up. You've been cleansed. You've been washed in the blood. And there's certain things you just don't want to do no more because you've been fixed. You've been washed. I come to heal the brokenhearted. I come to fix the problem. I didn't come with more guns. Yeah, I could with one word. I can can just shake it off. I can bring it down. But I didn't come to do that because I'm fashioning for myself a people that will worship me for all eternity. A people who are righteous. I come to fix you and to fix what's wrong with society. So you see, that's why we can't act like everybody else acts. We can't be hateful and filled with bitterness. Amen? Amen. You got to be a minister because you've been fixed. Now you got to tell other people that this Jesus I know, he can fix the problem. It's amazing. How many know that the problem with our country's debt is symptomatic of another problem? It's called greed. Until you get at the root of it, you can't fix it. Until you get at the root of anything, it won't be fixed. Jesus came to heal the brokenhearted. How did he heal the brokenhearted? Yeah, he preached deliverance to the captives, those who've been trapped in their sin, who, who feel that there's no way out. He said, I came to set the captives free, to let you know that you can have life, even though you've been... T-. That's why people, some people have a problem with grace, I mean, because they don't understand the magnitude of it. Even though you have been horrible, you've done some... Some of you have done some stuff, boy, you don't want to even talk about. And you say, how in the world can God forgive me? I've come to set the captives free. Nobody can do this but me. Nobody can do this but me. I've come to set you free. That's why I don't let nobody try to bring up what your past is. You just let them know there was a flashback that was in the past. I've been redeemed. Don't bring It's under the blood. And when it's under the blood, you need to know it's under the blood. You've been set free. And who the Son sets free is free indeed. You're free. Look at your neighbor and say, stay free. He come to set the captive free. 
to open the blind eyes. How many say, Pastor, my eyes have been open. My eyes have been open. My eyes have been open. I mean, I, I didn't know. I didn't know. I didn't understand. But gosh, this, you know, this thing is bad. I mean, sometimes your eyes get open to yourself. Amen. Some of us need to have our eyes open to ourselves. And I, it took me a long time to get over me. After I got saved, I mean, it took me a couple years to get over me. And I couldn't understand how can a God love a guy like me? How can a Jesus come and rescue somebody like me? I remember what I did, and I was bold in my sin. And I, and I determined, I told the Lord, I said, Lord, as bold as I was in my sin, I'm going to be as bold for you walking in righteousness and living for you. I owe him at least that much. Amen. I mean, no, we all owe him at least that much. Amen. Amen. Oh, gosh. So Jesus says in Matthew chapter 28, the remedy. He says, come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, here to call. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and I'm lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Come to me. If any man thirsts, let him come unto the waters and drink. He said, come to me. Come, if you're tired of the violence, if you're tired of the murdering, if you're tired of struggling, if you're tired of all the sin that is in the world, if you feel like you've been enslaved and you've been trapped, Jesus said, come unto me, all you who have been worn out, beat up, come to me. Come to me. I'll make it right. It don't matter what you did. Just come. Just come. Hallelujah. Billy Graham used to have his crusade, and his crusade was just come as you are. That's our message to a dying world. You don't have to try to wait to get yourself fixed up. You can't get fixed up enough. Just come like you are. Just come. Well, you know what? I figured I'm just going to stop sinning a little bit. No, no, no. Yeah, you need to stop sinning, but, but you need to just come first and let them change you Amen. and let them fix you inside. The whole creation is waiting for the redemption. The whole creation. You know the whole creation. Look, look at Romans 8. Somebody was already in my sermon this morning. I hear over there to my left. Romans chapter 8, verses 18 through 25. You, you there say amen? For I consider that the suffering of this present time, listen to this, are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. And you hear what Paul is saying. Paul said, as bad as the suffering that, that, that people are going through, and even the people that have experienced this tragedy, in Jesus it's not going to compare to the glory and the joy they're going to experience in him. Paul says, I reckon, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. 
For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Everybody say hope. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. But look at verse 22. And, and, and I want you to think about the context that we're in today. For, the, for we know that the whole creation groans. How many know there's some groaning today? The whole creation groans. There's, there's problem with, with all kind of catastrophes all over the world, with people, with nature. How many know sin has affected everything? He said, for the whole creation groans and labors with birth pains together even to now, Paul says. Not only that, but we also who have the first fruits of the spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, for the redemption of our body. How many know that if you're a Christian this morning, you're going to get a new body? I know you keep throwing paint on what you got and you keep trying to do all this stuff, but, but you know, you're going to get fixed up real good. Inside you've been fixed, but outside he's going to really fix that up. Amen. Because we're waiting for that. For, for we were saved in this hope. See, this is our hope. This is what it's all about for us. We're saved in hope. For we do not see, I'm sorry, for we're saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For what does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. So God is going to redeem this whole creation. In Revelations 21, 3 through 5, I want you to write this verse down. We won't have time to turn there. It says, uh, and I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, watch this. Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. How many say I'm God's child? <laughs> and God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Amen. This is our hope, isn't it? God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, no more sorrow, or no more crying. But there shall be no more pain. It's almost hard to imagine a world that has none of that in it. For the former things have passed away. But then he who sat on the throne said this, watch this. Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, write, for these words are true and Faithful. How do we know God is not a man that he should lie? <laughs> he is not a man that he should lie. He said, there's coming a time. See, this is the hope that we have, that there will be no more pain. There will be no more killing. There will be no more murders. If people want peace, how do we know that that's what people want? People want to be able to enjoy their life. You want to go to the grocery store instead of waiting for some, thinking about somebody who's going to come and take your purse. You want to walk into school and not be worried about. He said, there's coming a day in time, God is saying, that I'm going to eradicate all the evil and it won't be no more 
pain, no more suffering, no more crying, no more tears, for the former things would have passed away. So when I say that Jesus is the hope of the world, you understand what we mean. He's the hope. He said, I'm going to fix this thing. And, 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 and he said, and I love how he said, right for these things are faithful and true. That's like God is saying, look, look, you know, when God said he couldn't swear by nobody else, you know, he, he swore by himself. <laughs> uh, God said, when, I, well, he couldn't, when he made Abraham a promise, and you know, you're the seed of Abraham. He said, when you made Abraham a promise, he said, when I look and I, I was talking to Abraham, he said, I look and I, and I wanted to find somebody I could swear to, but there was nobody greater than me, so I swore by myself. Amen. In other words, God said, you can depend on what I say. It is going to happen. There will, listen to me, there is coming peace, joy, happiness, no sickness, no pain, no more headache, no more going to the gym, hallelujah. You can eat all the food that you want. You don't have to worry about those pimples. You don't have to worry about no cold. You don't have to be blowing stuff. You're going to be, everything is going to be new. Because God would have eradicated all the evil. See? Gone. See, that's why he can look and he can see the pain over here, but he sees something different. And what we must be asking, ask God, say, Lord, will you please open the eyes of the people so that they can see what you have in store for those who put their hope in him? See, the best thing you can do for the hurting is to tell them about a Jesus who loves them. That's the best thing you can do for them. Not to tell them to get mad and go back and fight back, but, but to say, you know what? I feel your pain as best as I can. I understand what you're going through. But Jesus is the hope of the world. And what we believe and what we know is that there is a place that we're going to come to where we don't have to worry about this stuff. That's why the message must be, we must deliver this urgent message with fervor and with great zeal. Lastly, and this is very quick. How should we Christians respond in the wake of the tragedy? You know, I've always get trouble sometimes. I hear some folks, some even God-fearing people will, will make comments sometimes that are, that are not helpful. But I want to offer you what the Word of God says. The first thing we need to do is five things. This is real quick. This is going to take less than two minutes. Three minutes. Pray for them. That's the first thing. First Timothy 2, verses 1 through 4. Therefore, I exhort, first of all, the supplications, prayers, and intercessions, and giving of thanks. That's what we did this morning. Amen? Be made for all men, for kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and with reverence. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God. It's good and acceptable in God's sight that we pray for the hurting. And we pray for all people who desires that all men be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. Two, we're to avoid arguing over theological points and why it happened. How many know this is not a time to argue with people? We don't need to be arguing. How many know that I find out the most arguments I get into with people, especially with theological stuff, it, it just doesn't amount to a hill of beans. 
The, more, the older I get in my faith, the more I grow, I realize I don't have much time for arguing. I, I've come to a place now, I just need to do what God told me to do and like it, love it, lump it, but I'm moving forward. I'm not going to argue with you about theological points because the work is too great. Amen? So this is not a time. We don't want to argue with people about theological, your God. We, I mean, we, it's, we need to be respectful of all people. We respect all people. Jesus, he went, Jesus went around doing good. He just did good. He told people the truth. But a lot of times he blessed them before he preached any gospel to them. He just blessed them. And they were ready to hear after he met their need. That's the way we need to be. Number three, we need to lovingly and boldly share Jesus. That's the remedy for the problems that we're facing today with people who are sobbing, with those of you who are working as teachers in schools and in these communities, share Jesus. Tell them about the love of God. Lovingly and boldly share Jesus. Number four, weep with them. Romans 12, 15 says, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. That's what we do. It is totally right for us as Christians to weep with those who are hurting. It's totally right for us to comfort, which is the fifth point, to comfort the weak and the hurting. 2 Corinthians 1, verses 3 through 4 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our tribulation that we may be able. Here's why God comfort you, so that we can be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. So the way that God comforts us, that's the way we're to comfort other people. And then, conclusion, 1 Peter 3.15, sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and with fear. That's our assignment from God this morning. Our assignment is to give hope. To give hope. You know the answers. You know there and about what God is up to. Let's take hold of this moment and share the love of Jesus and let all people know that he is the way to healing. Amen? Every head is bowed, every eye is closed. Thank you, Lord. If you're here this morning and you have not given your life to Jesus, this is that moment that God is beckoning you to come. with evil running rampant in our world today, with uncertainty, with pain and heartache and hurt. God died so that you could have life and have it more abundantly. Jesus is the remedy 
And he is the one that is going to bring you into everlasting life. Nobody else. No one else. If you don't know today Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I, I beg you today. I beg you, please. I beg you, please, give your life to him today. Make him the Lord of your life. Make him master, ruler, Lord. Give your life to him. Is there one who would say, Pastor, I, I, I haven't given my life to him, and I hear him calling me. I, I, I hear him beckoning for me. Is there one today who would say, I have not given my life to Jesus, and I want to make that choice today. Is there one? Father, we thank you, Lord God, for our service today. It's a very special service. God, I think we are, though our hearts are heavy and we grieve for those who have suffered loss and we are more grateful for our own family, our own children, our own wives, our own husbands, our sons and our daughters. We hug them tightly and we thank you for every moment because we know every moment we have is a reflection of your grace of your compassion, of your love. God, we're asking this morning, God, that you would equip every one of us ready and able to share hope, God, with the hurting, to share hope with those who are confused, to share hope with those who are looking for answers, Lord. One of the best gifts that we can give this Christmas is to give you. So God, will you please help us? Please help us. Use us, Lord. Put the words in our mouths. Give us a sensitive soul to us around us. Let our hearts break. Let our hearts break, Lord, so that we can feel the pain and be able to minister like we should. And God, as usual, will give you the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on, why don't you stand to your feet and give God a praise for this day? That he has made. I want to remind you today at uh, 4 o'clock, uh, we will be uh, celebrating over at April's house.